0: and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. So it was as soon as he came near the camp, and he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Then he took the calf which they had made, burned it in the fire, and ground it to powder. And he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make gods that shall go before us. Uh, As for this Moses, the man that brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what is become of him. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. And I cast it in the fire. And this calf came out. Now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. In verse 26. Then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side, and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And about 3,000 men of the people died uh, that fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore, go. Lead the people to the place of which I have uh, spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for judgment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. Uh, That's pretty heavy reading, isn't it? And what I tried to do was just paint a picture of what had happened prior to chapter 32. And uh, we see that uh, The people had seen the great power of God. They had seen it demonstrated in the mighty way coming through the midst of the water. With water on both sides being delivered. They had seen the miracles, the signs and wonders in Egypt before they came out. They had seen all of the evidences of God around Mount Sinai as Moses went up and down and spoke to the people. And the people's response, they said, yes, we will do all that the Lord has said. We will obey the Lord. We will do it. Then because Moses, they know where he had went. He had gone up and he had come down. He had gone up and he had come down. They knew that he would do so again, even though not as quickly as they thought, And so how in the world could they, on this flimsy excuse, we don't know what has happened to Moses, they did this thing. And Aaron, how do we understand him? I can't. I really can't. I know he's human. Moses is human. We're we're all human. But Aaron, who was to be high priest, his sons, And he goes on after this to be the high priest and his sons after him. But at this point, Aaron fails the test. He relents. I read one commentator saying that it appeared that Aaron doubted God but feared the people. Should have been the other way around. But maybe that's the case. Instead of restraining them, they imposed their will upon Aaron. And it seems from the text that he didn't give any resistance. Surely he did. And it's just not recorded. But anyway, he finally gives in to their desires. And he is the one that took the gold and put it in the fire and then with an engraving tool molded this calf. But when Confronted by Moses, why? What happened? Well it's it's the people. You know how they are. They're just got they have their minds set on evil and so that's that's what happened. And this this calf it just uh just came out. Flimsy excuses. And so it was that when Moses finally came down, he saw what had happened, his own fear became hot, like the Lord's did initially. And he rebuked the people, punished them, making them eat what they had said was their God, and drink it. And so it is that uh, he came down to the verse, where he stood in the midst of the camp and said, uh, who is on the Lord's side? And we know that the sons of Levi were on his side, and they came to him. And about 3,000. Of course, there's about, keep in mind, there's over a million people there that came out of Egypt. And out of that 1000000 some plus People, 3,000 of them die, is a demonstration of God's wrath to show the seriousness of this sin. And so then it comes down to the question that our author really focuses on not so much the whole context, but practical implications of the question that was asked uh, who is on the Lord's side? And so. Uh, he begins by giving the negative answer, who is not on the Lord's side, and he makes several good points here. <laughs> Men of faith only, they're really not on the Lord's side. He gives King Agrippa uh, in Acts 26 as an example. He believed, but he was not a Christian. Uh, he goes on and uh, He gives uh, the rulers believed on the Lord, but they still denied him and thus were lost from John 12. In James 2, 24, faith without works is dead. So those who proclaim faith with no works of obedience, uh, they're not on the Lord's side. Moralists are not on the Lord's side. And of course, living a moral life is a commendable thing as far as it goes, the author says, but morality alone is not sufficient to save. And how many times have we heard this when we have engaged people about spiritual things? Well, I'm, I'm a good person. And they're basing what they believe is their salvation on being a good person. Uh, I'm good to my neighbor. I'm, I'm uh I'm not selfish. I give of what I have. Uh, I try not to do bad things. I'm a good, I'm moral. But he gives here Cornelius in Acts 10 as an example how that morality alone is not enough to save. Cornelius was a very uh, good man. And the Holy Spirit tells us about the good deeds that, that he did. And this was a Gentile, and he was a good man, but yet he still had to send for Peter to come and tell him what he must do. And then, of course, we know that Peter did this and that Cornelius became uh, the first uh, among the Gentiles to hear the gospel and obey the gospel and be baptized into Christ. He says if morality would save, then Christ would not have needed to come as man's savior. He says many religious people are not on the Lord's side. So just being religious, uh, believing in God, believing in the Bible as from God, but that alone uh, is not enough. And then he makes here in the middle of the page... uh, A statement that I've highlighted that I think is very important. Let us not forget that the devil works in the realm of religion. And he does. Uh, Satan is okay with people going to church. He wants them to go to church, whatever church it may be. As long as that church is not following the commands of God. And we have many of those. There's only one church. And there are many man-made churches. And Satan's okay with that. He wants people to go to these unscriptural churches. He loves it. Gives them a false sense of well-being, of salvation. And Satan knows all along that uh, they're lost, they're not saved. So I think that's very important. He gives some scriptures here in reference to this in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3. And I'll just read it. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who brought them, who bought them, and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By uh, covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. And so just being religious is not enough. And then he gives uh, Matthew 15 verse 3 where our Lord says in vain they worship me. Teaching this doctrines, the commandments of men. Of course, Jesus is referring to the Jews, the, the Pharisees here in their pretense of worshiping and being righteous. Uh, but they were promoting doctrines of men, traditions of men, as if it were scripture. And so the Lord says it's empty worship. It's worship, but it's empty. It's devoid of content. Uh, So he goes on in Matthew 15 and verse 9. He gives another example where it says, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into the ditch. And even Paul is mentioned here at the end of this section, 1 Timothy 1.13, where Paul says, Although I was formerly a blasphemer and persecutor and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. In other places, Paul would say, in all good conscience, I persecuted the way and led people to death and to prison. So, yeah, Saul was very religious. He was fervently religious in the uh, sense of the Pharisees' righteousness. But he was lost, wasn't he? He was told to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and to wash away his sin. So he was lost. So the devil works within the realm of religion. And he goes on to make another valid point in number four. That The same holds true to a degree in the Lord's church. Some whose names are on the rolls of churches of Christ Uh, are really not on the Lord's side. Just being baptized is not enough to keep one on the Lord's side. One thing that Kay and I have observed uh, in many of our sojourns in which we've been engaged in door knocking and having Bible studies with people, and uh, we will have some who obey the gospel And then uh, there's joy and celebration. Uh, Always a a joyful thing to the local congregation when people are brought to the Lord. We go back the following year for a follow-up campaign, and those people are nowhere to be found. They're not there. Maybe that's the fault of the local congregation, and sometimes it is for not staying with them and following up. In feeding these babes in Christ, but still, it seems that uh, maybe in the minds of some that they well, okay, I'm going to be baptized. That does it. I'm saved, and uh, that's all it takes. And uh, many are of that persuasion. He mentions Second Peter two twenty through twenty two. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb: A dog returns to his own vomit, a sow having washed to her wallowing in the mire, and he goes on and makes some other comments here, but again, even some amongst us in the lord 's church in reality are not on the lord 's side if uh, we're not doing our best day by day to walk in the light and to keep ourselves uh, in the faith. Well, he goes on then to the positive answer of who is on the Lord's side. Who is on the Lord's side? And he mentions, of course, the sons of Levi. Levi, there in uh, chapter 32, they had obeyed God, the others had disobeyed. And then on uh, page 99, the author makes this a very important point. Thus, the factor that determines whether we are on the Lord's side is obedience or disobedience. It comes down to that, doesn't it? It really does. Obedience or disobedience. It might be surprising to us to realize that many in the denominational world are really unfamiliar with the concept of obedience or obeying the gospel. And we hear many stories when people relate to us of how they believe that they were become a Christian and were saved and never mention having obeyed the gospel. They don't even mention the gospel. But it really comes down to that, and it's a failure. And again, it's, it's Satan at work in the world in his deceptive ways. This idea of faith only is all that we need is a failure on the part of many to believe the biblical definition of belief. It's, it's not mental consent only. It is obedient Belief, belief that is strong enough to obey the commandments of the Lord. And so it comes down to obedience or disobedience. I've often said that uh, to me, perhaps one of the most frightening verses in all of God's word are words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. You're familiar with it. But listen to it again. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. Have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who work lawlessness. Now, if that is not a sobering, frightening thought, nothing is. Not enough just to say, well, yes, I believe in God. I, I believe that the Bible is His word. I'm a, I'm a good person. Uh, I have accepted Jesus into my heart as my personal Savior. He came into my heart, and, and I'm okay. And then the judgment comes. Who are you? I never knew you. It comes down to Obedience. Yeah. But there's a difference. There are many wonderful works that Christ has not sanctioned. Yeah. has got to be the ones Christ has put for us to do, not what we come up with. Because there's a lot of good things that. People oh yeah, do to it's get a good proud, point. To get benevolence out there, but it has to be done the way God wants to do it done. It's a good and point. because the they're, they're doing things, wonderful works. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. The plan of salvation is in the realm of the commandments of God. And it must be obeyed. Uh, Quickly, as we look at uh, the idea of who's on the Lord's side... He brings out some uh, interesting points here in point number two, John 15, 14, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Uh, and then in Luke chapter 5, and why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? What Susan is alluded to here when it comes down to it. There can be no neutrality in this fight. No middle ground. No compromise. He who is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scatters abroad. So there is no compromise. I'd like to close by looking at something from Joshua Chapter 24, sometime later after this incident in Exodus that we've just been talking about. uh, They have sinned again and that first generation dies in the wilderness having never entered the promised land because of their unbelief and their doubting. But then Joshua leads the remnant across poised to take the land. And they take the land. Joshua is at the near to the end of his life. And in chapter 24, beginning with verse 15, Joshua says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, or to the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So the people answered and said, here we go again, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. And we know the history, don't we? From this time going forward, as we get into the judges, we get into the kings, we get into the divided kingdom, we get into the captivities, we get into the prophets speaking the word of repentance and we see that time and time again the people, these stiff-necked people will depart from the Lord and will go back to idols. Unbelievable. But then in our final reading, go with me then to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And you're familiar with this scripture. Paul begins chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians by giving a review of all that we've been talking about this morning from Exodus and what happened to the people and all of that. And then he comes down to verse 11. 1 Corinthians 10, beginning with 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples. Talking about you and me today. Examples. And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Then verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Aaron. Aaron, he fell mightily. He who thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. We've got to ever be on our guard, don't we? Satan is at our heels. He's working on us. He's wanting us to fail. But notice what he says as he continues there from verse 12. Verse 13 no temptation has ever has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. Aaron should have heeded this knowledge that, that he knew. The Lord, if you obey the Lord and you consecrate your life to him, he's not going to put anything in your way or our way that's beyond our control to overcome. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And so the lesson of the golden calf and what happened in Exodus 32 and the question, who is on the Lord's side? Let's be on the Lord's side. Thank you.